Chapter Thirty Two of A Short History of Scotland by Andrew Lang, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Thirty Two: The First Secession. For long we have heard little of the Kirk, which between seventeen twenty and seventeen forty passed through a cycle of internal storms. She had been little vexed either during her years of triumph or defeat by heresy or schism. But now the doctrines of Antoinette Bourignon, a French lady mystic, reached Scotland, and won the sympathies of some students of divinity, including the Reverend John Simpson, of an old clerical family which had been notorious since the Reformation for the turbulence of its members. In 1714, and again in 1717, Mr. Simpson was acquitted by the assembly on charges of being a Jesuit, a Saconian, and an Armenian, but was warned against a tendency to attribute too much to natural reason. In 1726-29 to 29, he was accused of minimizing the doctrines of the creed of St. Athanasius, and tending to the Arian heresy, lately raked out of hell, said the Kirk Session of Portmoak, 1725, addressing the sympathetic presbytery of Kirkcaldy. At the assembly of 1726 that presbytery, with others, assailed Mr. Simpson, who was in bad health, and could talk of nothing but the Council of Nice. A committee, including Mar's brother, Lord Grange, who took such strong measures with his wife, Lady Grange, forcibly translating her to the Isle of St. Kilda, inquired into the views of Mr. Simpson's own presbytery, that of Glasgow. This presbytery cross-examined Mr. Simpson's pupils, and Mr. Simpson observed that the proceedings were an unfruitful work of darkness. Moreover, Mr. Simpson was of the party of the squadron, while his assailants were Argathelians. A large majority of the assembly gave the verdict that Mr. Simpson was a heretic. Finally, though in 1728 his answers to questions would have satisfied good St. Athanasius, Mr. Simpson found himself in the ideal position of being released from his academic duties, but confirmed in his salary. The lenient good nature of this decision, with some other grievances, set fire to a mine which blew the kirk in twain. The presbytery of Arcturator had set up a kind of standard of their own, the Arcturator Creed, which included this formula, It is not sound or orthodox to teach that we must forsake sin in order to our coming to Christ, and instating us in the covenant with God. The General Assembly condemned this part of the creed of Arcturator. The Reverend Mr. Hogg, looking for weapons and defense of Arcturator, republished part of a forgotten book of 1646, The Marrow of Modern Divinity. The work appears to have been written by a speculative hairdresser and independent. A copy of The Marrow was found by the famous Mr. Boston of Ettrick in the cottage of a parishioner. From The Marrow he sucked much advantage. Its doctrines were grateful to the sympathizers with Arcturator, and the republication of the book rent the kirk. In 1720 a committee of the General Assembly condemned a set of propositions in the Marrow as tending to antinomianism, the doctrine that the saints cannot sin, professed by trusty Tompkins in Woodstock. But as in the case of the five condemned propositions of Genesius, the Arcturator party denied that heresies could be found in the Marrow. It was the old quarrel between faith and works. The clerical practitioners in favor of the marrow were rebuked by the assembly, May 21, 1722. They protested against a merely human majority in the majority they appealed to the word of God, to which the majority also appealed, and there was a period of passion, but schism had not yet arrived. 
The five or six friends of the Marrow really disliked moral preaching, as opposed to weekly discourses on the legal technicalities of justification, sanctification, and adoption. They were also opposed to the working of the Act which, in 1712, restored lay patronage. If the Assembly enforced the law of the land in this matter, and it did, the Assembly sinned against the divine right of congregations to elect their own preachers. Men of this way of thinking were led by the Reverend Mr. Ebenezer Erskine, a poet who, in 1714, addressed an ode to George I. He therein denounced subverting patronage, and the woeful, dubious abjuration which gave the clergy ground for speculation. But a Jacobite song struck the same note, Let not the abjuration impose upon the nation, and George was deaf to the muse of Mr. Erskine. In 1732-1733, Mr. Erskine, in sermons concerning patronage, defended the assembly, would not apologize, appeared to a lay reader to claim direct inspiration, and with three other brethren constituted himself and them into a presbytery. Among their causes of separation, or rather of deciding that the kirk had separated from them, was the salary of Emeritus Professor Simpson. The new presbytery declared that the covenants were still and were eternally binding on Scotland. In fact, these preachers were platonically for going back to the old ecclesiastical claims with the old war of church and state. They naturally denounced the Act of 1736, which abolished the burning of witches. After a period of long-suffering patience and conciliating efforts, in 1740 the Assembly deposed the seceders. In 1747 a party among the seceders excommunicated Mr. Erskine and his brother, one of those who handed Mr. Erskine over to Satan, if the old formula were retained, was his son-in-law. The feuds of burghers and anti-burghers, persons who were ready to take or refuse to take the Burgess Oath, new lights and old lights, lasted very long and had evil consequences. As the populace loved the headiest doctrines, they preferred preachers in proportion as they leaned towards the marrow, while lay patrons preferred candidates of the opposite views. The assembly must either keep the law and back the patrons, or break the law and cease to be a state church. The corruption of patronage was often notorious on one side. On the other, the desirability of burning witches and the belief in the eternity of the covenants were articles of faith, and such articles were not to the taste of the moderates, educated clergymen of the new school. Thus arose the war of the high flyers and moderates within the kirk, a war conducing to the great disruption of 1843, in which gallant little Arcturator was again in the foremost line. End of chapter 32. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.